0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke
1: and me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversations. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us, and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Changing Conversations. This week, we're joined by Mr. Jim Thewlis, who is General Secretary of School Leader Scotland. Jim, hello, how are you?
2: Good to, good to meet you again.
0: Always a pleasure. I'll declare um, a vested interest as a, a member yeah. and past president. We, we work very closely, know each other well. Um, I'm delighted that you've agreed to join us, Jim. Because you've got a unique perspective on Scottish education and a, a unique involvement over the past year. Uh, but first of all, why don't you outline for listeners, you know, just your background and and what leads you to to being in the role you are today?
2: Okay, thanks, Billy, and it's a pleasure to to come on and and some quite some illustrious company. Looking at the the previous contributors to it, so I'll try not to be intimidated, try not to destroy their reputation. But uh, background. Um, was a secondary school teacher, started off in the, the very dim and distant past, the, the mid-1970s, progressed through various ranks within the profession, and spent the latter 18 years of my teaching career as a secondary head teacher in Harris Academy in Dundee. Got to that point within what I would kind of well, kind of rather pompously call a career but felt that's what I wanted to be. Had never really any ambition to move anywhere further than Harris Academy and all that the, my ambition was channelled into doing that. So mm-hmm. second teach for a, a chunk of time, got to the point of retiring. The opportunity arose to take on General Secretary's post within School Leader Scotland. Like yourself, had been involved with the association over quite some time. I'd been president way back in the past, I think 2010 I was president, been part of a presidential team over a period of time, and through being involved with School Leaders Scotland had kind of got my fingers into all sorts of Scottish educational pies, so involved with General Teaching Council Scotland, with the Review of General Teaching Council Scotland when it gained independence, involved with... Scottish Exam Board, as was at the time of meltdown and thereafter with, with SQA, involved with the um, Education Scotland in all sorts of ways. So I had a, a kind of fair background within Scottish education and a kind of fair understanding of what went on with within Scottish education to bring to the role of General Secretary. So that's how I arrived there. I've been doing that for the past five or six years. Like... All of us have supposed doing the day job, never for a minute imagined I'd wind up doing anything such as I have been doing over the past mm. year, year, now, almost in mean, I've got to be careful how I reflect on that. And I keep seeing I've been saying over the last six months, over the last nine months, almost a year now. So you're, and right, you're right. Kind of involved a much more intimate way and a much more sophisticated way and a much more kind of full-on way Mm. than I was within the the, the aspect of doing the job before lockdown. So that's where I'm just now, General Secretary of a professional association. Nearly 900 members, up towards 900 members. Again, one of the kind of paradoxical things is that membership has moved up steadily over the Mm. course of the past nine years. And I would like to take that as a kind of reflection on the way in which we as an organisation have been doing things, been engaging with school leaders, supporting school leaders and taking forward the the kind of leadership perspective in a way which supports folk in doing a day job, a different day job from what they've been accustomed to doing however long they've been in the job.
0: Yeah. The association itself has evolved over the years, Jim, from the Head Teachers Association of Scotland, so give us a little bit of insight into that.
2: It's involved uh, further back than that, Willie. and it it was at one point at the Head Masters Association of Scotland. But uh, we got to to a stage in how long ago? Maybe about 15 years or so ago where looking at ourselves, we were very much, and we were seen to be very much as a gentleman's club, and I use the words advisedly, who once a year met in a big hotel somewhere in Scotland, had a conference at which a lot of the people attending conference went and played golf. And we began to think, well, if we're going to represent our members, the educational landscape was changing an awful lot at that time. So we as an organisation decided to, to look at what we did in terms of what members got when they paid their money to us. And we kind of set it up with kind of three key themes. We set up an organization to represent its members, to support its members and to inform its members. And over the course of the past year, that's where these kind of three key things have been. And that's the way in which we have delivered our message into Scottish education and brought that message back to the people who pay their money to be part of our association. And the emphasis has kind of changed from time to time. The representation part of things is the the highest profile of what we do. The support thing tends to be there kind of all the time. And the informed thing has been real high profile over the, the, the course of the past year. So, those are the kind of three key things uh, which we would want to sell out there to anyone who wants to become a member of our association.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you mentioned, that like all of us, the way of working has changed now. You and I have spent many hours in cars and trains going to meetings and et cetera. And at the moment, you're not leaving your house, however, I sense you're probably busier in terms of meetings than ever before.
2: Absolutely so and again it's one of these things that has kind of evolved over the course of the past year and that you know we didn't you know it's easy to reflect now and think yeah of course this is the way to work but it certainly wasn't the way in which we thought any of us would be working in March and we certainly didn't think in March that this is what we'd be doing one year on from then and it's moved, it's, we learn very, very quickly. And I suppose it's quite salutary to think as a national organisation that we could have been doing things differently and there was a better way to do some of the things which we do. It's not to say it's the best way to do all of them, and I think that it's that's absolutely clear it's not the best way to do all of them. But there are certainly things when we do get back to being able to leave the house and going to meetings that perhaps I want to say, well, you know, tracking ourselves through to Edinburgh for a meeting where that meeting doesn't really need to take place face to face. Let's do it the, the way in which we've learned in, in which to do it. That's not to say, however, there will not be opportunities where you know, meeting with people is the best way to do it. And we, we all know sitting on a Zoom conversation or a Teams conversation or whatever else, that you know, there are, it's not intimate in a way which enables you to read what is happening within the room. And it's not a way where you can engage as quickly and as responsively, perhaps, as you'd want to do. But given that we're all busy people and given that it may well be the best way to conduct things, let's start to look at the way in which we do it to make sure that we capture the moment and use people's time most effectively. And, and you know, other way to look at it is, In terms of being able to represent the members, over a course of a week now, I will have an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes two hours with the deputy First Minister. I will have at least an hour and a half with the, the, the chief executive of SQA. I speak to leaders within COSLA. So there's all sorts of ways there in which, in terms of representing the members, and putting the leadership case into the public forum that would never ever happen. If we were, you know, John Swinney is a very, very busy man. And to draw all of the people, 30 odd people who sit at ERG together for a two hour meeting on a Thursday morning, it's not gonna happen. But the way in which we can do it now kind of sets us up for the future to be able to say, we can consult with government, we can get to government and we can meet with government then, you know, through sending around a, a doodle poll and getting that together, and that's hugely, hugely important. Looking at the way in which we move into a serious recovery phase, mm-hmm. and the way in which we we'll look into a kind of not a refreshment phase, but a new look at education. We well, might come and pick up parts of that later on within the conversation. Mm-hmm. But Scotland, you know, Scotland always was, kind of, it was easy to get to people. If you get to Edinburgh, you can get to government if government wants to set up a meeting with you. And one of the things which kind of set us off in a good path in relation to the way in which we've taken this forward over the year was the fact that we actually did know each other. There's not anyone let leaving, you know, the Public Health Scotland people who perhaps, you know, under normal circumstances wouldn't have got to or wouldn't have been involved in. But there's not really any, it wasn't really MD within Scottish education whom I, as General Secretary, didn't know and wasn't on first name terms with. Meeting them was a different matter. Meeting them now is an easier thing to do. The one and the other one to pick up within that is Education Scotland. And we we can get to Education Scotland now in exactly the same way.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how... um... how our our lives and the way we operate and the way we connect and interact has has changed and I you you were saying there about reading the room and certainly when you're on a big group call it is much harder to read the room you just don't get as much information um and it does make it a little bit harder but I guess as you've kind of alluded to there one of the good things um about Scottish education is we are quite well connected and we do we do collaborate and there are good relationships and connections um, around the country in various ways and at, at, in different layers of the system as well. It's a kind of different
2: dynamic to the formality of turning up at a meeting mm. and the way in which you engage, you know, the, the raise the hand thing <laughs> <Yeah>. always <laughs> means well, you know, in, in serious terms, it always means that you're going to get the opportunity to speak. Yeah. And in a large meeting, the, the, you know, the, the opportunity to speak doesn't arise in the same sort of a way just as it does just now, because the person controlling the meeting knows I need to go to someone else, I need to go to someone else. And it's another matter, another way of looking at the, the dynamic of a meeting and the way in which you start to influence what's happening within the meeting. And again, over the course of the, the, the recent past and using Zoom, you've worked a way, worked out a way of being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Still haven't managed to get in before Larry Flanagan, but that's another <laughs> matter you keep, that.
0: you'll need to try very hard on that one. I'm sure Larry wouldn't mind me saying that.
2: Well, Larry and I have this kind of this kind of discussion round about things and you know one of the things that has come out of this has been the very positive way in which the professional associations have worked together. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that we set up or deliberately tried to do, but what we realised again within the dynamic that is a Zoom meeting, that you've got to be succinct in making your point, mm-hmm. and there's no point in repeating what someone else has done, mm. because you, you you're only going to be on there for an hour, so make sure you make the best use of the time you get within that hour's opportunity.
1: Yeah. So you know, I'm not going to
2: go in there and repeat what Larry Flanagan has said, but. If we go along there and we're dealing with the same sort of issue, which Mm -hmm. is an issue related to a professional association representing and supporting its members. I know that he's going to represent members in a different way from the way in which I do. His constituency is different from mine. Mm -hmm. Greg Dempster in AHDS has a different constituency as well. It's important you understand And the people who are in the meeting understand that we are going to come with different messages all round about the same theme. Mm -hmm. And that comes over very, very strongly in relation to putting a kind of coherent case that says across those who work within Scottish education and coming from different perspectives, there's a sound and kind of consistent message in relation to whatever that issue might be. Mm-hmm. And we have found a way of delivering that and, and understanding that you know we, we don't need to cross over which each, what each other is going to do because the emphasis is inherent in what we say. And the particular perspective comes to the fore and from my perspective in relation mm-hmm. to school leaders. Leadership issues, what leaders need, what leaders see as being important. And while the theme and the kind of delivery is the same, The aspect which comes over from primary sector and the aspect that comes over from EIS in relation to being across both sectors and having classroom teachers within their membership delivers a consistent hit in relation to the point that we want to make. And that's been one of the great strengths that's happened over the the way in which we engage through Zoom and Teams and whatever, whatever whatever way we do it
1: yeah all the different platforms so thinking about that voice that you have as an organization um one of the things that's come up in in many of our um podcast conversations so far is around the themes of empowerment and autonomy and obviously sls um plays a role and has a voice within that nationally why why is it so important why is that an important agenda for us at the moment
2: it's not at the moment it's always been there as part of an agenda now if if you're going to look at, complement. You know, I don't want to. I was going to talk about equity. I don't want to talk about equity. I'll talk about equity in a different way. Mm-hmm. If you want to look at comprehensive education, and the way in which education is delivered in Scotland, there are 330 schools there, no two of which are exactly the same. A great deal of similarity between them, but no two are exactly the same. Now, if there is a national policy on whatever we are talking about, then that national policy gets delivered through local authority and then through schools, and it has got to impact on the young people who are in schools. If you're going to look at the diversity which exists across the 330 schools, it's absolutely critical that those who are closest to the young people have the opportunity to take the decisions which will best impact upon the young people whom they know and will best impact upon the community which they are serving. So if you're gonna look at delivering equity, then equity within a national context delivered at a local level can only be done if you fully empower those who can actually make decisions which will impact and impact directly. And that, are, that those are school leaders within the communities which they serve. Now, if you look at empowerment and the way in which empowerment has been laid out, we have no argument over the kind of four key aspects of what empowerment is. And we have got a very good track record in relation to some of these, mm-hmm. in relation to the way in which we can use that level of empowerment to impact directly on young people's lives and life chances and the way in which they can be supported to enhance life and life chances. So if you look at curriculum, we know how to amend and adjust a curricular structure which exists within Scotland, to fit best to central Glasgow, rural rural Inverness Shire, and anything in between that across Scotland. We feel comfortable with that. We understand how to do that. And if you go across all of the secondary schools in Scotland, you'll find a general curricular pattern. There's not a national curriculum, but there's a curricular structure there which is delivered in a way which best suits. And we're good at that. Mm -hmm. And HMI, when they come into schools, have said, yeah, we are good at that. Mm -hmm. And local authorities are quite happy to say, yeah, go on and do that because I'm working in Dundee, I knew the curriculum that I was going to offer in Harris Academy wouldn't best fit being as so high as it was three quarters of a mile up the road mm. because I knew my kids and I knew the community in which they operated. So in terms of curriculum, we have shown, you know, shown up well and been able to do that and empowerment in doing that. In terms of the way in which you know, we'll look at say, school improvement, Mm -hmm. Again, HMI has kind of said to us, you are good at doing that. The way in which we use how good is our school and the way in which we use the other tools for school improvement, we have been shown to be good, very competent at, in relation to making sure that what we're doing in school actually does feed feed the needs of the young people in the community. So those two aspects were shown fine. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Other two aspects, however, the real you know we're looking at levers of power they're the real levers of power and if you're going to start to look at the way in which we staff schools if you staff again I'll come back to Harris Academy and Mingus Hill High School if you staff them on the same staffing formula then I don't have the leeway nor does the head teacher in Mingus Hill High have the leeway to adjust and amend And further through that, being able to amend the curricular structure which is offered within the school by looking at staffing. And the very obvious fourth one is funding. Now, we as an organisation are very clear that what we'd be looking at is a fair funding strategy across Scotland. And thereafter, extra funding to go to target need in in a specified way. The way in which we've taken forward a pupil equity funding and the way in which we have used pupil equity within fund the funding within school has put us in a position of being able to do that in a limited way. And mm-hmm. we've done it pretty well. It's recognized that we've done it pretty well. I would have no argument, no debate over the fact that other schools within Dundee were getting more money above basic per capita than I was getting, because mm-hmm. their needs were different more complex and more substantial than what I was dealing with and dealing with within the school in which I was the head teacher. So in terms of empowerment, we made the case before we we got to the lockdown in March last year, we were making a very, very strong case to say, give us more access to the real levers of power in relation to staffing and in relation to funding to enable us to further better the life chances of the young people within the school by being able to support specific things within the school context. Now, one of many things I think, I don't know, it's not a thing, I know. We will look back on where we have been over the course of the past year and however long that lasts for and pick out some very good things which have happened. School head, head teachers and school leaders have stepped up to the mark and have shown themselves able, very, very able, have been been able to lead their school within their school community in a responsive way to the issues which are existing within their school community. So if we come back to the empowerment agenda, school leaders in Scotland over the course of the past year have actually shown that they are able to be trusted in relation to the level of power that they're able to exercise in supporting young people within the school and that's a debate which we need to come back to in reality and looking at the way in which the empowerment agenda in its widest possible context can Mm -hmm. come out of where we've been over the course of the past year and look at trusting school leaders to be able to support those within their school community in a way which is responsive to the identified need which is there and which the school understands
1: mm. so so I guess what you're saying is the the impact of this last year is that it has the possibility to enhance you know where we go or how we achieve further empowerment yeah. for want of a better word what what might what might get in the way or what do we need to be mindful of to make most of that opportunity
2: who knows how much funding is going to be available come the <laughs> end of all of this? That, that's, yeah. No, let, let's, you know, there is out there at the moment a growing belief that we should not be coming back to a new normal. And mm-hmm. I would, you know, I, I've tried very, very hard not to, to use the, 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 the terminology new normal yeah. because school teaching, by its very nature, is conservative with a small c and it will come back and it will draw back into itself given the opportunity. We have a huge, huge opportunity here of actually looking forward and taking forward the big ideas in a different way to the way in which they were perceived to be going forward in March of last year. And the improvement agenda was kind of coming back into that kind of inherent conservatism and in it, you know, we're, we're doing okay, just let's mm-hmm. carry on doing it and tweak it slightly. We've got the opportunity here of taking things forward, taking things forward in a very, very different, more expansive, more personalised way to actually looking at really tackling inequity mm-hmm. and really doing it in a way which enables the school to, through its understanding of its community, to come back into the context of supporting that in a, in a bespoke way, as opposed to the kind of the conservative kind of let's all, all move the system kind of more or less in the same way. Mm-hmm. We've got a huge opportunity to move away from that just now. And it would be, a, you know, it would be, sorry, it'd be criminal negligence professional negligence not to take that opportunity.
0: Agreed, Jim. And let's dig into an example that's in the forefront of every secondary school leader's mind at this moment in time, the Q word. So you mentioned earlier about the amount of time you spend on a weekly basis, worrying, debating, considering. Um, I mean, in the hearing now as we record this, mid-February, how we are going to get to a position where young people are fairly and equitably accredited for what they deserve from the year. Um, but also, you know, let's look through that, through that lens of qualifications in terms of what what could change for the greater good.
2: Um, you, you know my rant on this one, Billy. I've been kind of banging this drum for a while. And uh, I find it absolutely... Well, Let's take education in general, kind of three key things to education. There is the curricular structure which we offer young people and the experiences which exist within that curricular structure. And that's you know one kind of key principle of what education, you know, if you boil education down, curricular structure and the way in which young people engage with that curricular structure. There's the way in which we support young people within school. Now, I mean support in its widest possible sense. And the third thing is the way in which we keep our profession professionalised. So if kids are getting a good curricular experience, if they're getting supported in that, and their teachers are as competent as, and as imaginative as they can be, those are the kind of three keys to running a pretty good educational system. Now, within Scotland, we've got our faults, but those kind of three key things are there. The one thing, however, which we don't have is a qualifications system and a way of gaining qualifications which actually reflects that structure. Because if you look at what we do, We have a curriculum based on experiences and outcomes and developing a skill set. And the way in which we then tell a young person that they are qualified has been marching them into an exam hall for two hours in a summer afternoon to find out how much they can remember. What we have is a curricular structure of the 21st century. With defaults, and I'm I'm not not for a minute um, ignoring this kind of difficulties which are there. We know that and we're tackling that, but it's a 21st century curricular structure and it's tied to a 19th century exam system because the exam system which we have is essentially the exam system that was put together in Victorian times to measure what young people had learned in terms of the way in which they were then going to support the economy which existed at that time and it hasn't really changed since then now again going back in my own experience I was born and brought up in Motherwell I started my teaching career in Motherwell and at that time young people who came into the school when they got to the qualification system the exam system now, a lot of them didn't actually get to the exam system because by the time they got to the end of second year, they were categorized as not going on for the exam, uncertificated. And they would come through waited school to the end of fourth year and left at the fourth year, end of fourth year with very, very little. Now that system kind of suited Motherwell as it was at the time, because if you didn't have any qualifications to a degree, There was a job for you in Ravenscray. If you wanted to go to university and your parents could afford you for you to go to university, the qualification system let you do that. If you didn't want to go to university and you got qualifications, then the banks and the insurance companies and places like that provided jobs for you as well. Centre, one was a great employer for people who did that as well that system that's only 40 years ago doesn't exist any longer so what we've got to do is put together a system which enables young people to leave school with a set of qualifications which actually reflect their skill set based on what they have accomplished based on what their teachers have actually evaluated that they have achieved have achieved now there won't be a place. For an organization such as SQA, the Scottish Qualifications Authority, but it will not be the Scottish Exam Board. And the Scottish Exam Board was what was there in late Victorian times and 1976. But it's not an exam, you know, it's not an exam board we want, it's a qualifications authority and a way in which young people can actually accumulate. a set of of qualifications, a portfolio of skills, which they can then take forward with them. Now, again, you know as well as I do, maybe you're better than I am. I've no idea where the higher certificate that I got, I think my mum might have had it at one point, but it had a shelf life, and its shelf life ended very, very quickly. And again, coming back to what you do just now, what I did as a head teacher, my higher certificate, wasn't really any good. Nobody wanted to see that. What they wanted to know at interview was the skills which I had developed. Now we can take that back down into the system in relation to schools. Now there's issues around the way that. Of course, there are. We're in a kind of bizarre situation where most of the universities don't have formal exams as we know them, but they're quite happy to accept the fact. You know, if you pass the test, to many hires have you got to into university. And that's a big, big battle and discussion that we've got to have in relation to what qualifications are and the kind of way in which those qualifications are given value.
0: We've had Sarah and I have been fortunate enough to have many conversations over the past six, seven months with various different people. And Jim, you've been part of many of those conversations in different areas with the Mark Priestleys, Graham Donaldson, um, to name just a couple, you know that there, there are people talking quite strongly about the need to change it. And yeah. you've, you've spoken very well, and, and you brought that to life actually with example uh, from from Motherwell. Question is, how how do we get there? How, how we are we just... going to make space in the system to actually move on in a meaningful way?
2: Well, you know, even, before, even before make space in the, the, the system, really, it comes back to the kind of first question, the first bit we discussed around professional associations, and the professional associations who represent the professionals in Scottish learning have got to start making that case, because we are not doing the best by young people doing what we're doing just now. And we want to, you know, it ties into other arguments of, of discussions I've had as well, because it does not serve the equity agenda well at all what we need to do as as professional associations is present and constantly present the line that says we are not serving Scotland's young people well and if we can bring Education Scotland into that debate and if we can bring SQA into that debate if we can bring government into that debate and you know Raised it with government on a number of occasions and had a reasonably favourable response on that. But all of those who have got a locus in Scottish education have got to start entering into that debate and into that discussion seriously.
1: So this is your moment. (laughs) You said before that we have huge potential, there's an opportunity here. We're going to give you a magic wand to do with. Um, as you please what would you what would you do what would you change or what would you create
2: thanks Sarah (laughs) (laughs) coming from where we've been over the the past nine months let's just tie it to that and what we've learned Mm. it's absolutely scandalous that a serious number of young people were denied learning through not having access to IT in whichever format.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And let's assume this isn't going to be the last pandemic. It may not be. But you know, put that to the side perhaps. I would, you know, the, the Council for International Advisors talked about say, access to IT and learning through IT being a basic human right. And I think that is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And what we should be looking at is enabling young people to learn in a more flexible way. Even although there's not another pandemic, even although we never get to lockdown, even though young people are in school mm-hmm. all the time, there's a huge, huge potential here for learning and learning through IT. Now, if you want me to... You know, this discussion with my principal teachers was I had a teacher at one point. I tried a wee bit, kind of try to get through what I've looking at this. Mm-hmm. We started thinking schools. We've talked about money and we've talked about resources into school. Started kind of thinking about it in a, a kind of sideways manner. How much of the per capita, which is allocated to a child, is actually wasted?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's sort of given away. And kind of never no, never come back to again. Now, by that I mean, if you are a first year child and you come in to 12 or 13 classes, yeah. kids, you get 12 or 13 jotters.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now once that jotter is full up, it can't be used again. Mm-hmm. And you're given another one. If you go into an English class, into a higher English class and you're reading Hamlet, you're given a book Mm -hmm. and maybe after a year or two years that book has got to be replaced. So, but what I mean is the amount of money which is spent and keeps having to get spent because what you're buying is being replaced. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Why, if you have got an iPad, why can't Billy's in Renfrew High, all the t- books which you require mm-hmm. in first year in Renfrew High, why can't they be loaded onto your iPad? And mm-hmm. why can't you keep your notes on your iPad? Now, how much money is that going to save the school? Mm-hmm. Now, if you start then to look at the you know, negotiations with the IT companies, those who provide the hardware, those who provide mm-hmm. the software, those who deliver the platform, And you start to support young people's learning. Instead of coming to school with a rucksack full of books and everything else, assuming that you've taken them home and you've done your homework, you arrive along with an iPad or similar. And all of your work gets done within the iPad. You communicate with your teacher out with the classroom on the iPad. You know that you're not going to lose your book because it's on your iPad. All of that can be done in that sort of a way. Mm-hmm. So, then, you know, how do you get iPads to kids? We give baby boxes out just now. Mm-hmm. Why, and you know, in the baby box, why is there not an IT voucher that you cash in for? You know, the government wants to enter into a deal with Apple or anywhere, anybody else in the world. I'm quite sure there'd be loads of people out there who would want to put adverts onto the iPad that every child is going to get. There's ways of sponsoring, mitigating the costs. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to do that, deliver the curriculum through that, all the curriculum materials that you need, the way of communicating with the school, how do you get to parents? All of that gets done mm-hmm. through that medium. And when you get your baby box, you'll get the IT voucher there. Mm-hmm. And if you then want to say, okay, that gets updated every two years, then you've got a national policy there, a national strategy that supports young people's learning through IT and delivers that basic human right in a way in which can be taken forward across the country with equity. It doesn't matter whether you're in Arnamochen High or St Mungo's High in the middle of Glasgow. That equity gets delivered to you in that sort of a way. Now, a level above that, you've got to make sure that you know nationally that um, broadband gets rolled out nationally and the government's got a commitment to that anyway. Yeah. but let's start to tie it together in a way which has actually shown itself to have worked over the course of the past year mm-hmm. and use that as something to take things forward mm-hmm. so I've got a magic wand that's the you know that's that's the one thing in the magic wand mm-hmm. I'd want to do
1: yeah
2: and if you want a second thing we should all have the same holidays at the same times
1: <laughs> yes it helps, <laughs> but I I want to I want to ask Billy actually Billy what do you think of the first the first idea there? What what difference would that make for you and your school?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've we, we've spoken Sarah with various different people that the horse has bolted on digital now. It's, it's been spoken about for a long time, and um, the pace of change, the way that we changed it, you know, teachers have moved in in six months in terms of their practice. Um, at a pace that I wouldn't, you know, I would have thought might have taken six years, you know. So we're not going back to the way it was before. We, we've seen the benefits of IT. We've seen the benefits of asynchronous learning, where young people can return to the explanation at a time that suits them. Yeah, where yeah. if they're, they're off on the Monday, that's okay. I can catch up on the Monday night, even before I come back on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, we can go into breakout rooms where they're in a, a secure bubble, almost. You know, so it, it's it's here to stay. We need to, as Jim says, take full advantage of it, and that does mean that you know that there is an aspect of digital poverty out there, mm-hmm. and you know that's something we need to resolve very very soon. So, uh, yeah, a good a good uh, wave of the wand, there, Mister Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jim, thanks a lot for your contribution. And the first part of the podcast took us into a lot of really interesting and current areas of Scottish education. Um, let's dig in a little bit more to, to you and Jim Thelus. And can you start by telling us what you wanted to be when you were growing up?
2: <laughs> um, I don't think I need to tell you that one, Billy. Really.
0: <laughs> I I know um, that one. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, um, education and. Um, Head teacher, being head teacher in Harris, you know, I've always said it was a privilege. It really was. It was of all the things professionally I've done, that was by you know, it was an absolute privilege. But as a child, sorry, I wanted to be, I wanted to play for Motherwell. Yeah, I wanted to be Motherwell's goalkeeper, and sadly, they saw through me an awful lot more quickly than people in education saw through me. So. (laughs)
0: You did wear the gloves on occasion.
2: Uh, uh, That would be stretching it a bit. No, I did not really. And I've got to say, I'm still available if they want me.
1: (laughs) Well, you never know. You might get the call just yet. (laughs)
2: Living hopes there.
1: (laughs) So tell us, what are you reading at the moment?
2: Um... I am not, I was going to say, I'm not a great great reader of fiction. I don't read fiction at all, actually. But uh, back in uh, what my wife refers to as when you used to earn an honest living, Mm -hmm. I was a geography teacher, and uh, geography has always kind of stayed with me. So at the moment, uh, I am reading a book, which my daughter gave me for Christmas. It's called The Death and Life of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs. And it's about the way in which urban society decays or expands or develops in relation to the way in which cities are structured. So it's actually very interesting. Mm,
1: it, does sound interesting. it does
2: sound interesting. So the it's first great. the first four chapters are about life on the street, the sidewalk, sidewalk life, and it's into various other aspects of how cities work. So at one time, I did when I left university kind of toy with the idea of being into town planning actually mm-hmm. went to Birmingham University and was interviewed for a postgrad but decided I was going to be a teacher so it's still with me in a wee bit.
1: Yeah it's always interesting to hear what people are reading because it's never just a book they happened upon there's always a story behind it that connects in with something else that was something else at some other point. It's always interesting,
0: so thank you. Jim, lots of food for thought, lots of insight today. Um, Let's finish by asking you, is there a a message or or a quote, something you want to leave with the listeners today?
2: Uh, Thanks, Billy. Um, I don't know whether you do it or not, I shared with you, I am a great admirer of Franklin D. Roosevelt again, it comes back to geography and things like that as well. But again, took up presidency of the United States, probably in the last great world catastrophe, in the middle of the depression, And perhaps leave you with two quotes in relation to Franklin D. Roosevelt, which not specifically in relation to what we've been experiencing over the past year or so, but in relation to him as a leader and the sort of things that you know, as a leader he did. So I'll give you two quotes. And the first quote, a kind of general leadership one, which was do something. If it works, do more of it. If it doesn't, do something else. And I think that's you know, it's kind of as I try to lead, lead uh, use, uh, to lead my life as a leader. Mm. And the second one is Specific to where we are just now, and I suppose right at this point in time, where we are just now, maybe kind of getting on top of this and coming out of this, and it's got relevance to the, the, the conversation that we've had. And if I could leave you with the words of, of Roosevelt in his first uh, inauguration speech in the middle of the Depression, he said, The only limit to our realization of tomorrow will be our doubts of today. Let us move forward with strong and active faith. And I think that's just a bit spot on for right now.
0: Absolutely. Great way to finish. Mm-hmm. Jim, thank you very much.
2: Thank you both. Enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening, folks. We really value you taking the time and space to join us. And we hope that you take something positive from it. We'd love to hear your reflections, so please get involved via Twitter or contact us directly by email. Thanks again, stay safe and take good care.